Hi, I'm Ben Canute. This is the Greg Bennett Show. Any questions? Welcome to the Greg Bennett Show presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I have just finished an absolutely incredible conversation with the one and only Ben Canute. Ben was last on the show just over a year ago, and um, we really just dissect his past year where he started off well and then had about five months of just not kind of the form that he wanted, and he was a little off his game for a good portion of 2022. But he was able to flip it all around in September, about six weeks out from the Ironman 70.3 Worlds. And um, he breaks it down. He talks about each of his team members and and bringing on new team members and, and how mentally and physically he was able to prepare himself for one of the best battles I've seen on a race course for quite a while between himself and Christian Blumenfeld at the 70.3 World Champs. And then we go through and we really dissect that race and, and what it took to make it happen. But just an absolutely fantastic episode. You can check out Ben Canute on any question. He's already answered 176 uh, questions there. All of them phenomenal. He gives so much great wisdom and advice. So go check all those out. If you have follow-up questions for him, go to any question on iOS or Android and you can download the app and go on and ask Ben any questions. It, and it's free for the first hour. And actually, we do have a new promotion. So if you use anyquestion.com forward slash podcast, you'll actually get three months free. So go use that code when you sign in. It'll be free for three months. And then you can ask a whole bunch of triathletes on there, Ben Canute, Chelsea Sodaro, um, and they're all on there answering questions. So yes, I get to ask them questions here on the podcast, but now you can as well on any questions. So go check it out. All right. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. I, I really enjoy these conversations with Ben. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right. Well, today I am joined by, I think, one of the most versatile, powerful triathletes in the world. He's, he's just won so many titles over everything from super sprint and four, or is it up to five Escape from Alcatraz? I don't know. There's so many of them. He's just absolutely dominated that event. He represented the USA at the, the Rio Olympic Games, and he's twice a silver medal at the Ironman 70.3 World Championships, most recently getting second last week in an epic head-to-head battle with the Olympic champion Christian Blumenfeld at um, the World Champs in St. George, Utah. It was just absolutely a phenomenal race. He was last on the show on October 4th, 2021. So if you want to go back and listen to that one, and in that episode, we really, he shares his journey and, and his love of his family and his team and everything that it's taken for him to get to this point. Um, and he's just truly a great man. So go check out that episode. It really is a fantastic one. But I personally have just been such a fan of his and and, and the way that he's carried himself for years and his process. Um, so it's just a really great honor and privilege to have him back on the show. So welcome back to the Greg Bennett Show, Ben Canute. How are you, mate? I'm doing well. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, mate, I couldn't wait. I, um, you know, after watching you race, after sort of being on the sidelines, obviously I, I, I watch all these performances and, and you haven't had kind of the year that, that we, you know, are used to seeing almost, you hadn't had that consistency. Um, but then just to watch you turn it around and I was like, okay, I got to get Ben back on to really dissect that turnaround. Um, and, and how were you able to do it physically, mentally, the whole piece? And then also I want to sort of dissect the actual race, 70.3 worlds. But before we get there, have you recovered? How are you feeling? Yeah, um, feeling pretty good overall. This is what, Thursday? Um, so we're four or five days after the race. And I feel like overall um, my body recovered relatively quick. Mm. It was more just because of that course and the nature of it with the hard bike and then all of the downhill running. Uh, my quads were just destroyed yeah. after the race. Yeah, yeah. So you get that funny walk afterwards. So, um, but overall feeling pretty good and, um, yeah, doing a, a little bit of training now, uh, before kind of building back up. Cause 
I just, uh, I was maybe going to end the season, but I got one more race to do now. What are you doing? What do you got coming up? Yeah. Um, I'm making my Ironman debut in Ironman, Arizona in Whoa. just uh, two and a half weeks time. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, good man. Well, I think on the last episode, you were like, yeah, you know, uh, uh, it's on the radar at some point, but I hadn't really nailed it down. Oh, so you've got an Ironman in two and a half weeks. Who are, who are you up against? Is it a competitive field? Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good field. Um, yeah. It's definitely solid for a late season Ironman, uh, which, you know, is always mm. kind of a crapshoot when you pick one because people have bad races in Kona or yeah. carry momentum from there. Um, but Joe Skipper's coming out, Sam Long, mm. um, Christian Hogenhog, yeah. um, Chris Lieferman. So the list just kind of keeps going that way. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a fun experience. And since I'm living, you know, North Phoenix, it's probably the cheapest race I could ever go to <laughs> and <laughs> sleep in my own bed and everything. So, well, your family's going to be growing here soon too, right? When's your second well, Exactly. And that was, that was kind of the decision too, is, you know, we had such a good training block kind of these past, mm. um, maybe four to six weeks, even, um, just building on everything else. And, um, honestly, there's just, it's so hard to find racing in November right now with mm. everything kind of being pushed either to December or into October, right. um, and without traveling and with a baby due, you know, kind of mid to late December, we are just like, we don't want to travel at all. We want to be home. So this just ended up lining up, uh, perfectly for us. Perfect. Well, I remember you sharing me the story of, you know, the first time you went through this and it was like you were in Daytona and the whole, uh, the whole thing was just like, ah, I got to get home. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a, kind of a nightmare there. So we are definitely not taking any chances this time, whether he comes, you know, super early, super late, I will, you know, be around in, in full dad mode. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it's a boy. Yes. Yeah. Ah, we know it's a boy. So you got a girl boy. You're another girl. We're all girl boys. Have you noticed that nearly every, every triathlete I know, has a girl and boy. And I, I guess that's a big generalization. I get it, but oh mate. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's cool. And are they, they'll be almost exactly two years apart then, right? Yeah. Almost exactly. It just depends whenever he comes. Her birthday is December 4th and mine's the 14th. He's due the 26th. So I'm just, I'm kind of crossing my fingers. It'd be um, kind of fun to have him on my birthday, uh, on the 14th. Cause <laughs> my daughter came 11 days early. So we'll see. No, nobody knows. <laughs> it's what we've all fit, learned, um, becoming parents is you can try and be prepared and they'll try and tell you something and you know, it gets flipped on its head. Yeah. And I'm glad you're piling in a bit of great big racing right now, because as you know, it gets a bit full on um, for, oh, for, for sure. a little while. Um, but mate, the, the race itself, you know, a few days ago, how do you think that's going to impact you? I immediately think of you, did you enter, sorry, I'm going everywhere here, but did you enter Arizona Ironman a while ago or is that just a recent thing? It's relatively recent. The training we've done, it's kind of funny, you know, maybe it's not Ironman specific, but mm. I, I think that, you know, in talking to some people, some people overtrain for the Ironman and do all of this like quality and yeah. uh, hours and hours of training. And um, I think that might be beneficial, like in listening to Christian talk and maybe the recovery afterwards, but I'm not always sure, like, you know, you don't want to go in overtrain to an Ironman and then, no. you know, just have a miserable day there. So um, I think we did a ton of volume kind of leading into St. George, especially on the bike and on the run too, and just had some really good quality sessions. And um, we we're kind of sitting there and just going, you know, we feel like it's, it's a bit of a, a win-win in just the fact that, Hey, it's a, it's a great learning experience. Um, if I do manage to snag a Kona spot, here, uh, mm -hmm. in the next couple of weeks, I don't have to throw in an Ironman in the middle of next year, which is looking like the schedule is just going to be absolutely jam packed. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it just provides that flexibility. It lets me extend that training out just a little bit with a goal so that I could also shut it down for when the baby comes mm -hmm. and be able to not have to worry about doing much training. Cause I'll have to, you know, recover for a while afterwards. So we talked about it before the race, but we were able to, you know, register relatively late, um, had to make kind of a, a snap decision, but the more we thought about it, we were kind of weighing, weighing it out and seeing that there are, are more pros to this than cons. And it sounds like it. It sounds like yeah. you guys really thought through and, and j just for people that don't know, how does it work for a professional 
entering these events? Do they put a like there's a window of opportunity to be able to enter? Or how yeah. does that how does that work? Um, so you know there is a deadline that you're supposed yeah. to hit. And, yeah. Um, you know, with this unique situation, with it being around worlds, I think they were a little bit more flexible gotcha. with the deadline in gotcha. just that I, I emailed them well before the deadline saying, Hey, I'm thinking about this, but pros have to pay to enter races too, up to a certain amount. And huh. so I just like for our license for Ironman, yeah. um, I still, if I wanted to race another race, owed a little bit of money. And so I was like, Hey, I don't, really want to make the decision right now before worlds. <laughs> please, uh, please, I don't yeah. want to have to fork out my, I've got another yeah. baby on the way, please. <laughs> well, well, and I just didn't want to think about it too yeah, much yeah. either while I'm racing. And you don't want that fallback. Like I didn't want to be racing worlds and going, oh, well, I could be racing Ironman Arizona. So I got to back off a little bit because that wasn't the main goal. Mm. So yeah, it was a little bit of a mental, a little bit of a like, you know, logistics type thing that I didn't want to deal with beforehand. I kind of shut a lot of stuff down and probably stopped replying to some emails and that sort of thing leading in. So it's kind of like a, a procrastination. But yeah, you email in and just kind of ask like, I like a registration link. So mm -hmm. it differs between, you know, each series, but that's kind of the process with Iron Man by a certain deadline. And it's just to kind of clean up that start list too. Because I think back in the day, even in ITU days, they used to have, they, they come up with all these rules because as athletes, we start to, you know, strategize. <laughs> oh, well, if I put my name on, you know, seven different start lists and pull myself off last mm -hmm. minute, then people get psyched out or I take up a spot or, you know, all sorts of different stuff. So um, I think now all these series are just trying to pare down on that sort of stuff because, you know, it's, it's not as, it's not good looking for the race or no, anything like that. No, people don't start showing. It'd be interesting though. I think, um, you're one of the few people in the world that when you turn up, it changes the dynamic of how people are going to approach a race. And I know Ironman, it's all about the individual and that's what everybody says. It's still a race. I mean, I don't care who you are. It's still a race. Yes, it's about you, but you're still, you're using other people out around you to get the most out of yourself. And um, when you turn up with the swim bike combination and now you, and you run, it's just become absolutely, that's a, I think I celebrated your run last episode we, we did together because yeah. <laughs> I've just watched you just progress. And I, I think that's what I said in the intro, just your process of just getting better and better and better and better to becoming one of the, the world's great runners. You know, you've got the swim and the bike as absolute weapons and now you've got this run and I'm just excited for you to, to turn up to that Ironman. But let's do this. Let's look at this past year since we last spoke. Um, mm -hmm. So we spoke in October and then you went and won California 70.3 yeah. Oceanside, uh, a hell of a performance too. And uh, so that was, a, that was a big kind of almost finale to the, you know, 2021. I think you then went on to Daytona where you came a solid sixth, you know, it was, it was a mm -hmm. decent race. And I don't, I remember I was commentating that one. I was, and you, you know, it was just, you run, I think you ended up imploding a little bit on the run, right? I think you, yeah. yeah. But otherwise it was a solid end to the year. Um, and I'd even say then, and I'm just sort of recapping, you know, going through here, but, you know, you then turned up at Miami and had a really solid third there with Sam Long winning and, and Jason West. Um, and then you went to California again and had fifth. Um, so that little window of finishing off 2021, starting 2022 was a really solid performances. And I've got one more thing I want to add. I don't know if you know this. So you win California, 70.3 Oceanside with a 346.31. You come back, which was in, what was that, November last year, October 30th actually. Yeah. And then you come back and you come fifth um, almost six months later and you run a 346.31. Yep. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's it's, uh, amazing. I, I to the second. I after the race when I was going second. back and checking and I was like, <laughs> oh, to the second. Um, so... Yeah. I mean, that's, it's a kind of an interesting six months. Um, yeah, yeah. and the way that the triathlon season is structured now, um, with racing going so late into December and starting so early at the beginning of March, I've found basically, you know, since 2020, when they had that PTO <laughs> championships in Daytona, mm. um, I've just raced so late. And then we've had a really quick build up to either prepare for Olympics and early season there, or mm. just to, to get going for the season. And, um, that race in Oceanside last year, that I feel like 
parallels more to my race at Worlds this year just because we had that few extra weeks. It was almost the same exact race date. Mm-hmm. I think it was the difference of the 29th versus the 30th. Mm-hmm. And then, because um, last year at Worlds, I just we made the best that we could with, with all the time and we got in some really good training. We were fit. It's just like, you know, sometimes that extra two weeks, it's mm. just like, oh, if I had a little bit extra time and I raced really solid, especially going back and looking at it, um, which I did, you know, a bit leading into this year. Cause you know, I, I felt relatively just kind of blah. It just wasn't like, oh, I felt great or, oh, I felt terrible but I, I still performed pretty well. Mm. And that, you know, coming into worlds this year, I'd gone five races without really having any sort of strong finish. Mm. And yeah. So, and last year too, I mean, the Daytona race, a race in December 4th is just hard because in the U S you know, you have Thanksgiving, um, it's starting to get into (laughs) like, it was, it's always right near my daughter's birthday. So there's a lot of these festivities stuff that it's like, it's pulling me into the off season, but you're still trying to hang on. So the hanging on for me, it's a delicate balance. Cause I like to take off during, you know, late December and everything. But after the high from ocean side, I probably went in, you know, maybe taking a bit too much rest and celebrating after that race, maybe. Mm. Um, but again, built up, but yeah, 2022 starts and that's where kind of juggling a lot of different things. And in January, my whole family got COVID. Mm. So we had kind of a delayed start to training. And as I hit that March and April in Oceanside and Miami, and then even St. Anthony's, I was third. And that was, um, that was kind of the, the last race before things started to explode a little bit. I was just building training and I feel like that Oceanside race, even though it's the same time, I feel like I had less fitness there and was racing kind of, you know, I was racing better. Mm-hmm. I just, it was another one of those runs where it was just, I didn't have that extra gear. And mm-hmm. that was also right at the time too, um, before, you know, Hoka's putting out their shoes that I, I was running in. And so that's kind of when I started to take a look at the whole picture of because I would just, had just gone to the wind tunnel too, of let's take a look at all my gear and see where it's at. Um, but then after Oceanside, it's like, okay, well let's hit it super hard and let's get ready for Chattanooga. Mm. Um, kind of trained through St. Anthony's. Um, we had a, a family wedding that was in Phoenix and that was right when training clicked super well, but I kind of burnt the candle at both ends and, you know, did some family stuff and just didn't realize. And this is what, you know, Jim is kind of kind of, has come to find in training with me is we went to like, we were doing a rest on demand where I, you know, whenever I, we felt I needed rest, we would take it. Mm. But by the time that I start to feel those, uh, signs of needing rest, I'm kind of already too far Mm. gone. Mm. So between training super well and super hard and waking up and being like, I don't know if I'm going to hit these workouts and then just really hitting them well. That's where motivation is a bitch, Yeah, right? Having yeah. big, big lofty goals. Everyone, oh, you got to have big lofty goals. They got to scare the crap out of it. Yeah, but if you're a motivated person, you're going to put yourself in a hole and not realize yeah. you're there until it's too late. Sorry, I interrupted well, you, but you had oh, no, thinking. That's yeah. exactly, yeah. it's exactly it. I found out like at the end of the weekend, I was like, oh man, it's a week from Chattanooga and like, Jim, I'm, I'm pretty tired, but I'll keep going. <laughs> And we did that, but by the time I got to Chattanooga and it's like, you know, Thursday before the race, I'm like, yeah, dude, we got to rest and like, you know, we'll see if I, I just didn't have enough time. Mm. So race super flat. And of course, you know, it was pretty hot there. So that I always feel like too, if you're not rested and not fit for a hot race, fitness you're just shows up big screwed. time. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's yeah. like, if you're at all fatigued, it's going to exacerbate it big time. Oh yeah. So I just, I, that was the first of like suffering through everything. And yeah. then after that, you know, I come home and we have to rest a lot to try and recover from that big effort and the race and all that. And chat or Alcatraz is only like a couple weeks away. Mm. But again, like my wife ended up getting the flu and she's pregnant at this time. And we actually had to go take her to the ER to get fluids because she just, she couldn't keep anything down. Oh, that's so scary too with a bubble. Oh yeah. Oh mate, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, thankfully she was, she was fine. And, um, the fluids I think just helped her recover faster. So they weren't, you know, the baby was all good, but everything was fine. Um, but I ended up starting to feel like I got a head cold Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was the week leading into Alcatraz and, um, yeah, it just, you know, 
hindsight's 2020, it was a sinus infection. Mm -hmm. So I kind of raced with that. And I really realized that something was off like after the race in Alcatraz where it's like three days after. And I'm like, why am I not recovering? I feel like I did a half Ironman Mm -hmm. and I didn't even go like that fast at Alcatraz. Like I had all of my slowest times and just Where where did you finish up in Alcatraz? What was the result there? I was fourth. Fourth. I was fourth. Still not a bad day with the... Yeah. So it wasn't like, it wasn't terrible, but that was like, you know, the first time in a long time that even if I'm not feeling good, I couldn't at least put something together there. Um, so I, I finally got on antibiotics and then I felt like normal again. And I'm like, okay, well now we have four weeks until Edmonton, which is basically the bare minimum of, you know, just getting fit Mm. and that, and then, yeah, cause I took two to three weeks of really pretty light training to recover from Chattanooga, get through family sicknesses and my sickness and all that and resting for Alcatraz. So that's kind of where I think we were able to explain away a bit of Alcatraz and Chattanooga and even explain Edmonton because, you know, it was that four weeks, mm. but then from there, basically from that week or two after Alcatraz, where I started to build up in my training, I was seeing good results. Like I was showing good signs of being fit. It just wasn't quite translating to training. Mm. And I think a lot of that has to do with just the fact that, you know, the level and the races that I was in, like I raced Edmonton Collins cup. I was against Hayden wild and Christian Blumenfeld. (laughs) And then Dallas, uh, of course is like another Edmonton. And those are both like mini world champs. And I was able to see positives from the race, but it was just, it was super hard. And like, I don't want to say like necessarily demoralizing, but it, it was to like, just have your body fighting against you. And mm. basically I was running, you know, the end of these races, basically slower than, you know, what I'd like to run my Ironman pace, my, yeah. my marathon That's pace. Brutal, isn't it? Mar- yeah. <laughs> you're running along and you're like, I do, I can run out the door and do my easy recovery run better than this. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Sucks. And I think it's just, you know, sometimes when you're not fit and you ask your body to race at mm. a certain level, like I crossed over that red line and I just didn't have that, like, it's, it's that few percent we're talking about that, you know, I could go out and do a workout and really hit a workout well, but when you're trying to race at that high level, you have to be able to recover and almost like be able to Mm. like at your race pace, almost be able to like have it not be anywhere near your red line. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of that whole middle from basically that Chattanooga to Dallas. It was five months of you kind of just being a little bit off your game you know, which yeah. is brutal. And I, think, yeah. and I think Dallas, like from that Edmonton to Dallas, I had some really good training going into the Collins cup where I actually swam and rode for the most part really well. Mm. Um, it's say from maybe the last 15 K of the bike and Collins cup. And then, um, Dallas, I actually was really pumped about because I did do really well. I trained in the heat, um, had some really good workouts in the heat. But I, I when I look back at that one, I think it's just, you know, there's heat training and being used to being hot. Mm. And then there's actually being able to digest calories at heat, like at race pace. Mm -hmm. And I think that I missed that last little percent because the calories, like I got onto the run after, you know, feeling relaxed through the swim, the bike was not at the level, you know, I thought it might be at, but you know, the heat can mess with you a little bit, but ran the first two and a half laps really well, like almost pretty much at the pace that a lot of the guys were running up front but I just felt like I was, you know, almost bonking. Like you could feel it in your face mm. where you're like, why am I, why am I feeling like this when I've drank the most and I was having Coke everywhere, infinite on the bike. Like I finished two of my bottles and stuff like was just taking stuff from you're just overheating stations. You get to the yeah, point you're overheating. Like, it's not hydration. It's overheating. They're, yeah. they're not one and the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, I, I don't feel particularly hot. Like mm. obviously it's hot out, but I just felt like, and when I thought about it afterwards, I'm like, I don't know if I, digested that much because all the blood is like trying to go away from the stomach so that was that was where you know at the end um I kind of had to do a hard reset because that was the last kind of demoralizing I guess result where you're like what the heck is going on here like yeah. why am I performing like this and you that's the hard part like it was only five months like in the grand scheme of my career that's like really small but you start questioning oh, like no, no. everything. I was going to, that was my very next question. Um, 
you know, well, actually, before I ask that, you mentioned, you know, you, you trained for, I used to go off an equation for my training, four week, eight week, 12 week. And four week meant I could get, if I had reasonable base, four weeks would get me, I could be in the race, but not really part of it. Um, eight weeks of training, I'd always feel like, yeah, there's a possible podium there. And if 12 weeks, if I could string together 12 solid weeks, I'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm in for, I, I have a chance of winning, but I always looked at it like that. But I just want to touch on this, mate, because the doubt, it had to have crept in because- you say only five months, but when training's going well, when, when, when you've coming off, you've had your sicknesses and you've got your body going there and then you start, you know, you're getting 28th at Edmonton and 23rd at Dallas and yes, there's some positive takeaways, but you're still kind of like, huh, tell me about yeah. like, how did that affect you? You know, mentally yeah. it had to take its toll. Um, well, I mean, I think that over my career, uh, my team and I are really good at finding the positives and Jim is really data oriented so we can look back and talking with him and Bobby McGee is a great resource too, because he's always so positive. And, um, we were able to look at, especially those early races and go, okay, like yeah, Chattanooga, obviously overtrained Alcatraz sick. And despite what people tell you, like, oh, it doesn't matter how you feel. Sometimes sicknesses can be overcome <laughs> and sometimes no. they can't. So, yeah. <laughs> um, that was cause I was kind of like, man, I feel like I could race through anything except, you know, it's just sometimes your body's not there. And then Edmonton, you can kind of say, okay, well, when I look back at it, like we thought we, we all were kind of scratching our heads going, man, I, it kind of started to shut down, you know, almost, you know, 400 meters before the end of the swim. But then we looked and we're like, well, you know, you swam super hard off of like four weeks of training and then you just never recovered and your body was just trying to get back to, you know, zero that entire race. Um, and Collins cup was actually like, okay. Like I, I went off of that. We kind of trained through it a little bit and we pulled some positives. Like obviously the swim and the bike, like I just overrode it a bit cause you know, Christian and Hayden, I, we just ended up in the perfect, my perfect scenario where I thought Christian was just following Hayden and I could get away. And, um, he just, you know, outplayed me. That was, <laughs> he outplayed me there. Um, after talking with him after the race, he let me dangle out front. Um, but yeah, Dallas was like the, the point, I think the turning point really where I was like, what is going on? Like I was, I thought, you know, I could get anywhere, you know, from a, top five or 10, if everything went my way to, yeah, down in the twenties where, you know, the heat caught up to me, I was missing that feeling of just racing throughout the whole thing. And I've worked with a sports psychologist for a number of years, but he actually, uh, unfortunately and sadly passed away, uh, huh. late last December. And I was doing, I took so much and learned so much from him because I started working with him back in like 20, 16, 2015 mm. even, and had a lot of good processes. But finally after Dallas, I'm like, you know, I need to talk to somebody again, instead of just being on my own, that's away from my team who doesn't really know much. You know, there's so many people out there, but it's hard to kind of pick. So you played a role actually, because Seth Pepper was on your, oh, um, yes. here, big your shout out to and, Seth. That was a great episode. Yeah. I love Seth. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, I listened to him, I listened to a couple other people, but you know, him being from the U of A, like being a swimmer, knowing where it's coming from. And then also mm. like being a U of A alum, like, I don't know, something was just like, Hey, let's, let's give it a shot. And his, um, approach is, was pretty simple. And I liked that, you know, it's, it was a little different from like, you know, a doctor of psychology's approach. Like he's very much about the process comes from the athlete background. And I'd kind of made the decision right after Dallas too. I was like, I, I feel like that middle part of the year when you're not fit, you grind through a lot of the training versus, you know, really like digging into it. Like I was trying to train a bit above what my fitness was. Cause we were on the back foot trying mm, to mm. get up to that level. But after up. Dallas, I was like, you know what, let's go all in, in St. George. Like I'm just going to get back to like my super fit on the bike. Like that's going to be key for St. George. And the run is all like, I know the run is really good for my workouts. We'll keep raising that, but the bike, let's really make it about that. I started talking to Seth too, and he kind of described his like, you know, you, you can bleep this out, but he called it like his, his hit switch. And I had already <laughs> kind of done that in saying like, like screw it, like let's just go. And between those two things and talking about just some other, you know, mental stuff that I kind of knew some stuff that, you know, was just a really good outlook. Like just having that, I went into a really good head space into let's just not set limits. Let's just see what I can do in this block. And my wife actually was like, 
why are you going to go to San Diego to train to get out of the heat in Phoenix? Like, why don't you try and go up to St. George the beginning of October and, and do some training on the course since it's like a six hour drive away. And so we figured out how to make that work and all of those things kind of aligning, I think got me on the right track and just got me focusing on how can I be my best self on the day? Like wherever my fitness is, let's just kind of see where that inserts into the world champs. That's awesome. You've got such a fantastic team behind you. You know, big shout out yeah. to Courtney because <clears throat> none of us can do anything without strong women behind us and, and vice versa. Oh. I think the women that are on the course would say they've got great husbands. Well, Chelsea Sidaro sung her praises for her husband, but it's like we all have these partners, these people that are there for us that are trying to help us just become the best person we can be. Um, and you mentioned Jim Vance, Bobby McGee um, and, and Seth Pepper, and, and then you've been working with Matt Pendola as well. Yeah. You, you have your, your team and I know because I've had most of them on this show, <laughs> yeah. some of the most awesome people in the world, just good people, but they're also yeah. incredibly well, good at what they do. Yeah. And that, and that was hard too. Like this whole season, like I've done so much work with Matt and yeah. uh, Bobby and then with Jim too, like we've, and it's just like, you want to do well too. And my, my wife sacrifices so much. I mean, she's 32 weeks pregnant now and she was 30, 31 when I left and like was watching Briella, like pretty much on her own. Like she had like a little bit of help from, you know, our moms who came in for periods of time, but like being 30 weeks pregnant and taking care of, uh, an almost two year old who is now in the stage of saying like, I do it. So like, she's going to do everything. Um, it's, it's not easy. Like yeah. if you just like, yeah, I can't, she had the harder job for sure. Um, I just had to, you know, go out and ride my bike and, and run and stuff. But yeah, I have an incredible team and to be able to, to get that result and, you know, watching Chelsea speak about it, you know, after, uh, Kona and everything and just how she was so grateful because she's so proud of her team. Mm. Like that really resonated with me too, because it's not just me who's putting in all this hard work. It's everybody around me who's allowing me to go off and kind of be my best self. Mm. I, I wanted to win the race and I felt like I had an opportunity to um, going in um, and to kind of do all of that for my team and for myself. But I, I was trying not to focus on those outcome goals. And really, I just want to get back to like, when I thought about it, I'm like, I finally hit that stride in training where I'm like, you know, I'm pushing my body and it feels fun again. Like it mm, feels good. Mm. Like it's so much fun to go out and just nail these workouts and like be at that level. And I was like, I can't wait. Like, I just want my body to be able to show up again. And whether I'm fighting for first or fifth or 15th, like, I just want to like, be in the fight. I want to be there and racing and just finish strong. It's the ultimate goal, isn't it? Just to be in the yeah. fight. Give me a chance to be a, a player. I want to play. And and, yeah. and with that kind of mindset, you're free then, right? There's a, when you remove the outcome goal, like you said, and you're free to play. And it really is play. the simplest way of looking at it where it's swimming, yeah. biking and running against our mates. And it's the ultimate play that we're all trying to outdo each other. But when the amount of guests I've had on this show that have said, yeah, I was free to do what I, was want, I want and I didn't yeah. have any of these expectations on me. It's like, yeah, that's where magic can happen. But you got to do a lot of work to get there, right? I just want to get, yeah. <laughs> just want to well, get that's, there. And that's what Seth would talk about too. I yeah. mean, it's, it's yeah. the joy of playing, like forgetting about, you know, making mistakes and all of that stuff. And really we, we talked about and it's just, you know, and he, he mimicked my racing style, like without knowing me very well, he was like, it sounds like, like, you just want to go out there and take it. Like winning doesn't make sense overall. Mm. And I'm mm. paraphrasing a little bit, so mm -hmm. I don't want to, I'm, I'm not as, you know, good at articulating it as him, but yeah, it's just really like, just go out there. And that's what I wanted to do. I want to take it. And I wanted to tap back into a little bit of that 2017 season or 2018, where it was like, you know, screw race dynamics and all of this stuff, like race smart, obviously, and strategically, but don't be on the back foot, like waiting people to make a move. Like mm. you try and make a move and you go out and that's there. And you. Just, that is your yeah. personality. And, and, and I said that in the intro and why, why I'm such a big fan is, you you always take a race by the horns and it's like if you guys want to play this is where the race is up here 
<laughs> yeah, know, I'm not waiting for anyone. And this is the perfect course to do that. And yeah, yeah. you know, I just so happened to have some guys who were riding, you know, super strong and put me right where I wanted to be. But I was kind of planning on, you know, riding that hard regardless. And it was kind of like, yeah, I mean, if there's somebody who wants to take that and kind of lead, that's great. But if not, then yeah, I'm just gonna to keep racing my race. And I just, I really wanted to see what level I was at and see what I could accomplish in the race and view it almost like, you know, I do when I go out training and be like, all right, like how many Watts could I push on the bike or how fast can I run in this workout? Mm. Well, let's do this. Let's talk about the race a little bit more. Um, yeah. The, the days leading in, you know, you mentioned a few other races previous where, you know, maybe you were a bit tired or you'd been dealing with a, you know, sinus infection and that. How, what, what, what were you feeling physically and mentally like the days leading into it? Yeah. So, I mean, we could even start like weeks leading in. Uh, everything was going super well. Um, my family came in like the Monday before the race and that was just a lot of fun because being mm-hmm. away from my girls for two and a half weeks was oh, a brutal. long time. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's, yeah. you just feel like you missed like so much. Yeah. Um, so to be able to see them again was awesome. And just, they came in with my parents, uh, Jim came in that day. So like everybody kind of came in on the same day and just to be surrounded by everyone was awesome. And mm. that was kind of, it was pretty relaxing. I mean, I would say like the week leading in, like I, I felt maybe a little bit more nervous than I usually do. Like the, like early on, um, and didn't have that many engagements overall. Like definitely I, I kept drawing parallels back to the 2017 season cause nobody expected me to do anything there and nobody expected me to do anything this year. Um, I think a lot of people thought, you know, I'm a dad now and I'm washed up, <laughs> but um, you got the dad bod, they, put on a yeah, few pounds. I, mean, <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know about any of this before the race, but like, I guess there was, um, uh, a slow twitch thread or something like that about like, what is Ben Canute doing wrong? Oh, they could be, <laughs> and, they could be brutal on there. Yeah. Don't, don't ever oh go there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, it's, uh, it's, yeah. I mean, I think sport just has a short memory and oh, yeah, people, people are quick. harsh if you're not doing yep. anything for them right now. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, no, I was, I was relaxed and just ready to have fun. And honestly, the closer I got to the race, I almost felt calm and like, early out when you feel nervous, you're like, why am I feeling nervous already? Like stop feeling nervous. Mm. But then if you get to the race, I went, I started to get calmer and it was almost like, you know, a day before, um, a big workout where like, I'm not really nervous, but I'm not, you know, super like mm. fire. I'm just kind of even keel. I'm almost at one point I was like, should I be more nervous for this race? But you know, I just kept tapping in. Cause I mean, I'll bring up Seth again, but I was just trying to do little things to help build that momentum of just like, yeah, I'm doing these little things and all of that kind of builds up into confidence. And I'd pictured that start line quite a lot and just, you know, feeling pretty calm and excited. And I almost was like picturing that exact sunrise, like not exactly, but I was picturing the Mm -hmm. sun, you know, kind of coming up and I was just enjoying it. Like it was an awesome way to start the day. I, I, there was a lot of talk about like beforehand about the cold. So I was going back and forth about what to do there really just try to keep moving through everything. And just, I knew once the race started, I'm like, all of this then doesn't even matter. And the nerves are going to be gone. And then I can just, you know, like, like we were talking about race free. That's the best, isn't it? When the gun goes, that's a beautiful thing we have about our sport is once the gun goes, we're, we're fully in mode. I think of other, other sports, golf and tennis come to mind, but they're often having to recalibrate (laughs) and then overthink something before the next point or before the next stroke. And it's kind of, at least with us, the gun goes, we start swimming and we're gone and the the nerves are done. Um, And that's why it's way harder on your family and your team because their nerves stay there for the entire day. (laughs) They never get to fully be immersed in that moment. But I I, I love that you were nervous um, or excited. Laura and I always replaced the word nervous with with excited because it had more of a positive way of thinking. So we'd be like, yeah, we're we're really excited about this one. And then you became calmer as the race got closer, almost with your family turning up your team and then just identifying that, yeah, this is going to be like a big, brutal training day. Let's get ready. You know, it's like, I love that mindset. That's awesome. So the swim, the gun goes off, you're well positioned. That all go, go to plan for you. Um, yeah, I mean, there were a couple things here and there, um, that at the start I picked way to the left 
And then when they let, I mean, it's kind of like the running of the bulls. They just let everybody run down to the start line after the top 10 lineup. <laughs> and like two guys filled into the left of me and I'm looking at them. And I'm like, one, you're not on the carpet. And two, you're going to run right into the pier that's right <laughs> next to us. Or you're going to swim on top of me. Yeah. And, you know, I always kind of talk to the guys on the start line. Cause I'm like, look, if we don't fight, I guarantee we'll get out faster. Like yeah. I'm going to go right to the front. Like just let's not fight. Just get on my feet energy. and you, you'll be, yeah. Seriously, yeah. that's what I'd be I doing. Mean, but thanks, Ben. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, most guys are pretty good, but you never know. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. guys, like when the gun goes off, it's like they take out the boxing gloves. And yeah. um, I mean, yeah, it was it, the boat ramp is always a little stressful because they jam so many people in there, which is why I think the swim can be so weird at this race with some people having exceptional swims and some people swimming well below what mm-hmm. they're capable of just because you get pinched and then have to either work your way up or yep. you get kind of stuck. I always say the race doesn't start when the gun goes off. The race starts the 10 minutes before just trying to yeah. b- bully yourself into a position, right? It's like yeah. if you don't win that 10 minutes prior, you're going to be screwed when the gun goes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, like without a pontoon and stuff, you know, everybody, you got to try and yeah. convince everybody to start on the start line instead of half a foot forward. So, <laughs> but the gun goes off and, you know, maybe I was a, a half foot behind or something, but once I dove in and took the first few strokes, I was, you know, was one of the guys up at the front and picked out Aaron Royal really yeah, quickly yeah, good and choice. let him go to the front. And he's been swimming, you know, awesome this year in all the races yeah. and was sitting pretty comfortably on his feet. Uh, and then halfway out to that first turn buoy or maybe a little further, uh, Mark Dubrick came yeah. around yeah. and he was swimming even faster than us. So I was like, perfect. Like, we'll just sit on here and I'll, we'll just, as long as I don't go too hard, this is like kind of a free ride. And that first turn buoy was maybe the one mistake of the swim where I think Mark was coming around. He just took it too tight. And with that sun, it was probably hard to see because they had red and orange buoys against the red and orange sunrise <laughs> and red rock. And we were all, I mean, they literally started the race at, at dawn at yeah. first light. Yeah. Um, we were warming up in the dark, in the water, yeah. um, which is, you know, usually something I, I try and stay out of the water in the dark, <laughs> but yeah. So we did that and I kind of corrected Aaron then kind of corrected and Mark eventually came back around and we lost some of our gap there. Yeah. Cause you guys did have a small gap early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so it came back a little, uh, and then I continued to follow them, but I feel like they were kind of, they were just kind of back and forth a little bit trying to adjust like where to go. And so in that last few hundred meters, I just lost their feet a little, um, which, you know, something with some of those swimmers who are coming, I think, yeah, Mark still does, does the ITU stuff. And yeah. Aaron has always been a top swimmer there where I just, some of that last, I just have started to settle in a bit more. And so I think I just, you know, let it open up a little bit, which was fine. Cause I still had a gap behind me and I figured too, I, I went with a base layer and shoved emergency blanket in my suit. Um, yeah, the under be- the, the best cold technique out there, the emergency blanket. Absolutely. Yeah, so <laughs> And I shoved my gloves in my bento box. So I'm like, I can have a fast transition and, you know, get to the front of the race pretty quick and was able to do that. And as I'm putting on my gloves, going out on the bike and everything, um, Christian flies by me in like the first few minutes. And I kind of, <laughs> I was like looking, I hadn't really settled in or anything new. I was pushing, you know, okay, back and forth, trying to shove these gloves on, but he starts riding and I go right into the Watts, the zone that I kind of want to be in you know, giving him a little extra space. Cause they said the referees were huh. uh, the same from Kona and yeah. they're going to officiate the same as Kona. And I remember watching that race and being like, this is the most penalties I've seen officials give out in a number of years. So yeah, for that first 10 to 15 miles, for sure, I was definitely giving him extra space. Mm. Yeah. I just felt like, okay, this is it. We're in it. We saw the turnaround uh, pretty quick. There was a 180 where you could kind of see where the race was. And I saw Magnus and Gustav at about, you know, a minute ish, give or take back and figured, okay, they'll probably catch us. And then the main group was two minutes plus a little bit at that point. Maybe there was a main group around a minute 30. And then I saw Sam Long too at like three minutes. And I'm like, okay, I think we had like a group of four or five. It was me, Mickey Tagholt, Christian Blumenfeld. Uh, Frederick Funk was pretty much right there at that point. Yeah. And I think Aaron Royal was still there with us. But by the time we hit the top of that first climb, which I think Miranda Carefree was there talking and I, you know, did a little wave to the camera and stuff. and was just having fun with it. Legs were feeling pretty solid. It was still pretty cold, but like, yeah, we were just in it and I was just 
kind of like, you know, I, I kind of half expected people to come around me and fill in that little bit of extra gap with Christian, but they never did. So I was like, you know, we must be riding hard enough and was able to see eventually, uh, as we got into the bike that it, uh, the group had come down to me, uh, Fred Funk, Christian Blumenfeld, Mickey Tagholt, and Magnus Dietliv. Mm. And when I saw Gustav wasn't there, I'm like, okay, well, I think Gustav is, is feeling Kona at this point. The celebrations at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but I mean, Christian was just like hammering on the front. Like yeah. he just attacked yeah. that what, bike. What kind course. of wattages are you guys kind of pushing when you, especially that first 10 to 15 yeah. miles? Is it, are you elevated wattages early and then settling in later or is it kind of consistent all the way through? We always train to ride at like kind of threshold power yeah. a bit at the beginning. But I mean, we were... You can, I mean, Fred Funk always posts all of his power mm. on there. And, um, that's a pretty good idea of what well, we you were guys doing all wrote about and the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I mean, we were right around, you know, we were in the three forties, I'd say for a good chunk of that bike. Brutal. Wow. Just, yeah. Even in like, I don't know what Christian was pushing. Cause yeah, he just had, cause I was like, you know, this is the Watts. I'm not going to go around him and push, you know, threshold when I still have an hour and a half of riding and having been out on that course a couple weeks prior and having raced it last year. Um, I knew that the second half of the bike was where, you know, Gustav really established himself as the race mm, leader minutes into everyone. Didn't he? Yeah. 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 It was that red Hills parkway into snow Canyon. And I'm just telling myself, I'm like this whole first part of the course, like you can roll into it. Like the Hills kind of help you out almost when you're in a pack. Yeah. But I think like our group was, was flying. Like there was every time I would kind of look around, I don't think anybody was really making time on us at all. Yeah. It was just, I kind of knew like, once we hit that Red Hills Parkway and I made it up that, I kind of really looked around and I'm like, okay, there's five of us here, like a top five. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I think, you know, I can outrun, you know, at least two or three of these guys uh, if I'm able to hang on. And I was just kind of having fun and it was like kind of game on through that whole bike. And I was just kind of waiting because I knew like Snow Canyon, that was just kind of the key moment. I rode that climb three times really hard, like pretty much all out in like a, a couple weeks before. So I was just like, you know, if you can get there, like I know how to mm. like push my effort into that climb without taking a lot out of yourself, just knowing that the first half doesn't really matter as much because it's flat. So mm. don't try and like go there, but if you have to go around somebody, um, do it quick and just make sure you get to that steep part of the climb at the top starting the run then with with the small group of you you had to make yeah. a bit of a gap on on christian and you didn't muck about what, what were you running early there that was insane. that was really good running thanks yeah you know i magnus really pushed snow canyon and the descent he had to have had such a big chain ring to be yeah, able right. to push like solid watts going downhill and um my whole thing of this bike because you know just listening to the officials and I sat next to Christian and Gustav at the, um, the pre-race talk. And, um, I, they were kind of laughing. They were, they were kind of looking too, like, you know, is it going to be same officials as Kona? And, you know, are they going to officiate the same? Cause they were safe. I think, um, racing the world champs there and tried to keep gaps a little bigger to make sure they race clean. Mm. Um, and so that was the biggest thing for me and coming up and over, you know, if you sit, at 12 meters coming downhill, uh, at 45, 50 miles an hour, you do get dragged along a bit. Yeah. And I kept it maybe closer to 15 or 20 and just lost a little bit of connection. And basically the gap slowly grew out a bit to, mm. I guess it eventually got to 40 seconds ish, um, from when Christian ran out of T two. And I just tried not to, I didn't really panic. I'm like, look, you made it this far there. Mickey got dropped on the climb. You're like top four. I believe, you know, it, traditionally I could have outrun Frederick Funk and Magnus Dietliv. Like I was like, you know, so you have a really solid shot at the podium. Just keep them in sight, have a good transition. Um, which I actually, I think I made up time on a couple of those guys who were throwing on socks and, um, so you did no, I, no socks? Cause I know I've, you've, no socks. on any question you've talked about socks and yeah. no socks is one of your answers. And when we were I, all wondering, yeah, <laughs> I have never worn socks in a triathlon except for maybe when I did the kids triathlon stuff, um, <laughs> early, early on, but wow. that's probably going to change coming up here. Yeah, you, you got nine man coming up. You may at least want to put them in a back pocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I had, because I'd been out there early, I'd run that diagonal. And I remember last year too, that was where I was the strongest on the course. Mm. And I just, there's something about that slight incline and just leaning into it. And, um, I knew kind of with my run power about where I could be without overdoing it and just like the paces and kind of where all the steepest parts were. And I picked off, uh, Freddie Funk and Magnus pretty early on. And I remember looking up to Christian going like, he's not that far ahead and he doesn't look like he's moving faster than me. Mm. And that entire stretch of diagonal, like I saw, I'm like, I think he's kind of coming back after that first, you know, few hundred meters or half it's a, a mile long straight, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And so I was just like, you know, I want Christian, like I want to go up there and like, you know, I think if I can catch him, like I got plenty of time, like if he's really hurting or something thinking like, Oh, Kona really took a lot out of him. Maybe he's finally feeling it, especially after that ride. Um, let's work your way up and then, you know, let's, let's take the race to them. And that's where, you know, I've heard some people be like, Oh, like, you should, maybe you should have sat on his shoulder. No, I loved, I loved what you did. You just ran straight well, around him and went boom. And I, and his face was like, hang on, what? <laughs> yeah. That was great. Um, and I was just, well, and that's what I, my thinking was like, you know, we, we talked, Jim and I talked about it a bit before the race and, um, we didn't really talk about it for the run, but we talked about it for the bike where it's like, if you want to beat the Norwegians, like you have to take the race to them, take them out of their game plan mm. because they're so good at knowing their limits, knowing all the data. And I think it's like, I, I heard, I don't know if Gustav has said it or somebody else, but like, I just don't think he, he races much above his limit when he's, he just keeps himself under and knows what he's capable of. And they're like, you know, they're like mathematicians out on that course mm. of just like, you know, I know I can win this, you know, even if somebody's look at what he did with Sam Laidlow and yeah. just, yeah. you know, caught him like to perfection. So, um, I was like, you know, take them out of their race. And again, using Sam Layla, like he took Christian out of his race and it paid off and he got that second place and almost, you know, mm -hmm. took out Gustav. So mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, let's go. And if I take the race to him, maybe he's hurting. I feel pretty good. And it was just that whole run kind of trying to not overextend because it, you know, running with the Olympic champ, there's a little part of you in the back of your mind going, Oh shit. Did I like, you know, go out too hard? Like, is this too fast for me? But was checking everything. And I'm like, no, this is exactly, you know, where I want to be. And I was trying to like throw surges in strategically to just like test him on little inclines, little downhills, just to see, is he fading? Is that rubber band stretching at all? He's like an animal. Like you just can't shake him easily. Uh, I think the biggest surge that I threw in was after we went down the bottom part around the park, uh, we had gone through that crowd and the crowd was just amazing there. And so I, you know, got a little excited, tried to get the crowd yelling extra loud and tried to surge up a, a relatively steep hill compared to diagonal before you take a left on it and mm. maybe got a bit of a gap. But, you know, if you're going to get rid of Christian, you have to like, you, you go to the finish. It. It's got to go yeah. to the finish all the way. Yep. Yeah. And that was the whole thing too, is like already, like as I'm running ahead of Christian, I'm like thinking about how can I win, but also like, man this is what I've been waiting for. Like, this is so cool. Like mm -hmm. I'm actually racing the run. I like, I'm the one who gets to dictate the pace. Like this is exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah. After that surge, I was like, okay, that, that was, you know, kind of tough and didn't really shake him much. Let's run steady. I know he's going to go early. I figured for a half marathon, as opposed to like a 10 K where he went a K early, I was thinking maybe, you know, mile, mile and a half. Well, you've got a reasonable kick on you too. People know that you have a decent, I don't want to be with you with a hundred, 200 meters to go. You, you're not a bad sprinter. So yeah, it's kind of like, okay, thanks. I want to um, dust this guy before we have to worry about sprinting. <laughs> well, and that's what I was trying to think too, is just like, how can I get to that last turn yeah. being with Christian? And I didn't, really think like we weren't running that extended downhill super hard. Um, we were just letting the legs kind of go, but we got off that golf course after me. I kind of tried to keep, you know, putting in little surges and stuff, but it was just even on the grass. Cause I felt like the grass, he wasn't really running as well, but it never got big enough. He was always able to like surge to get back on my hip. And yeah, right at the top of the hill, he decided to go and just, you know, ripped that downhill. And 
I didn't respond immediately because, you know, I kind of, you, you almost wait, they, they go super fast, you know, at the beginning and then, mm. you know, you settle into that search. So I tried to slowly bring it back, but you know, I think if you look at his Strava, I think he threw down at least one or two K's or something like that sub three minute K pace. Mm. And I was just like, I, I was just trying to hold on. I had a really good downhill until that roundabout where it gets a little bit steeper. That gap had grown. I was trying to wait. I was hoping, you know, he takes a wrong step and he just cramps up or he went <laughs> a little bit too early or something. Yeah. But I mean, he knew exactly what he had to do to win that race. And that's the thing that I think the Norwegians like, you know, Gustav, I think people kind of give him like, they kind of think like, Oh yeah, he's smart and what he does and everything. But Christian always is, he's the same as Gustav. They're always just planning about how to win and tactically they're really smart. Yeah. I just didn't have that sustained leg speed, like basically 10 K speed at the end of a half marathon. And I looked at my file to just be like, you know, was I running fast or slow or how much? And I think we were the two fastest runners on the course at that point. He just, you know, was able to open it up a bit more. And by the time we got out of the park, you know, I wasn't close enough on maybe that slight incline to, to bring him back. And that's when it all kind of started to hit me that like, yeah, I'm going to get second. I just raced with Christian that entire time, like, and started to enjoy it a lot more that last half mile. Yeah. Well, I think mate, you should, um, I think it was a hell of a performance. It really was. I think it trumps almost any other performance you've done. I know you've you've won a lot, but I just think to have that performance to come off the five months of maybe a bit of doubt and questioning and what's going on and to flip that around and, and then turn up and, and just deliver such a really <clears throat> overall swim, bike, run, but also the mental attitude and everything else you had around it. I think it was outstanding. What did it feel like running down that finishing line? Oh, it was, I mean, the whole race, mm. I, I mean, looking back on it, it's, it's almost like you forget like how painful it was, but like, it just like kind of float. It's that it's what I've been looking for. Mm. And that's like, especially mm. what came back. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, I'm just so happy that I was like asking my body to go. And a lot of times it would say yes. And that was like, first and foremost in my mind, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, yes. Like I'm back kind of. Yeah. And yeah. No, well, like, for sure. It's like happiness relief. Um, and then just like thinking about my whole family being there and seeing like Courtney and Briella and my parents at the finish line. And <laughs> yeah, it was like a lot of emotion just kind of coming through that, especially that last finish and the crowd got into it and really just tried to like soak it up. Cause I mean, and like being able to race and something was like just the first thing that I wanted. But then there was all the pressure of, you know, whether it's financial sponsors, you know, people doubting you, like all of that stuff. It just felt so good to be able to mm. have all of that following you around for the past few months um, and be able to just, yeah, actually execute and not let it affect you. I think you'll find when people ask you at the end of your career, you know, what was a career highlight? And often people want to talk about the ones that you won. But this yeah. will be one where you won for yourself. You got beaten on the line, but honestly, flipping it around, you know, I think a, a lot of athletes look back and go, actually, it was that one where I just delivered that race after the period yeah. of time or whatever. So anyway, that, absolutely incredible. Huge congrats. Um, I enjoyed, the, I think all of us loved the watching a battle. Uh, so you, you gave us a really great show, but mate, this has been a really wonderful conversation. I appreciate you for coming on. Um, before we go, I also want to thank you for all your amazing content you've created on Any Question. Um, you've been absolutely outstanding. And for anybody listening, if you want to go over there and ask um, Ben more questions, but he already has 176 high quality answers, just like he's delivered amazing content on this podcast. But um, mate, absolutely outstanding. Before you go, I have... A couple of questions to finish. Well, probably just one at this point, but what's, what's sort of the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Yeah. You know, I think, um, I might've answered the same exact way the last time I was on I the podcast. I wanted to see if it changed. But yeah, <laughs> I really think though, um, like patience is having patience and being patient and it's kind of in over, like it's kind of an umbrella that can kind of branch off into a lot of different things too. Cause you know, I had to be patient this whole year, had to trust in the process, had to just keep plugging away and deal with, you know, people 
questioning the way I go about things, coaching, lifestyle, all of that, but being patient and then kind of hand in hand and just believing in yourself. I think those, those are two of the strongest things that you can do. And it's like not giving up. And I think if you do those two things, that kind of equates to, to not giving up and, and being able to, to just give your best. Oh, mate, that's awesome. I love that one, the patience. And, and you showed it this year, mate. Um, again, huge congrats. Thanks for coming on the show so quickly after, you know, having your amazing performance. But I also wanted to get you before your life becomes really chaotic once we have the two yeah. kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I thoroughly enjoyed it. For me, it's a real thrill just to have a little bit of the behind the scene, you know, the stories, what you were thinking, what it was feeling like and, and taking me through the race like that. So I really appreciate you doing that, mate. For sure. Yeah, no, it's always a pleasure coming on and thanks for having me uh, along for a chat. And everybody listening, you can find all the show notes at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.